What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Jared Dicker is the former CEO of Poet. In this conversation, we discuss what's wrong with the media today, what potential solutions may be, how censorship and free speech are constantly tested ideas, and how foreign governments like China will deal with uncensorable content on a blockchain. This conversation was really entertaining and informative. I hope you enjoy it nearly as much as I did. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, super pumped. Jared's here. Are you ready to do this? I'm ready. All right, what's your background? So uh, I have a media background. I actually, my early, early background was in music. I wanted to be a music journalist. What kind of music? Uh, I like jam bands. I'm a All big right. Fish fan. I've seen Fish about 200 times. That's um, it? <laughs> love the dead. I wanted to write about music. Did that for a while, made no money. Um, realized real quickly that I could make more money working in advertising. So okay. I went, so like that's where everything just propelled. I, I got a job off Craigslist at the Huffington Post um, before they sold to AOL. The Huffington Post was looking for uh, employees on Craigslist? Yeah, yeah, Man. it's crazy, right? I don't and, know if that's good or bad, but we'll keep going. <laughs> yeah, and I joined in December 2010. So they ended up selling for $315 million in January. So uh, Craigslist might have been the right approach, right? Rather than paying recruiters. Um, and like, that's where everything happened. I I, I really started to recognize that uh, the media industry really doesn't know what it's doing and really appreciates anyone who wants to make an effort to try to make things better, especially mm-hmm. on the business side. Mm-hmm. Like um, early days of the Huffington Post, we couldn't get anyone to give a shit about advertising to really think differently about how to grow our business. Uh, everyone just wanted to focus on the creative side. I said, look, if you'll pay me double, I'll work on the business side. Uh, found that there was huge creative opportunity there. We we like created native advertising there. Um, everything blew up. Then I went to Time Inc. I went to Rebel Mouse, which was a... Uh, I remember. Yeah, a tech like company. The, so, the social right. uh, social page for everything, right? Right, right. So Paul Berry, who was CTO of the Huffington Post, and uh, Ken Lear and Eric Hippo, who... Um, run Lear Hippo Ventures, kind of launched Rebel Mouse. The team got back together. We built that for the distributed web. The whole idea was you don't need websites. You build everything for social. We kind of see how that's happened politically now. Um, (laughs) Kind of went backwards. And then I went to the Post. I went to the other Post, the Washington Post for three years. I led innovation, uh, really focused on the business side of things. was an amazing time to build a media company that had a great reputation that was owned by Jeff Bezos. So you uh, had full flexibility. He's uh, struggling right now. Dream job. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know the news. The news is the news, right? So, um, and then you know, towards towards the end of my tenure at the Washington Post, I really started thinking about like, what is the future of media, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do uh, are we valuing the work that we're doing correctly, right? Mm-hmm. We're constantly screaming, "Hey, you should subscribe to our work, or you should pay for our content and turn off your ad blockers." But do the consumers actually really understand that? Do they even know the work that goes into creating this podcast and the yep. hours that you're putting in? and why you're actually asking for it because it takes your time and there's value. And that to me became extremely obvious that there was nothing out there, that there's nothing out there that literally proves effort, right? And proves the work that goes into certain things when it comes to the creative side, then boom, right? It was, um, 
at this point, it was like uh, October, right, of last year during the crypto boom. And everyone's thinking of different ways, right, to really start to leverage blockchain. And to me, blockchain became insanely interesting because I'm like, here's something permanent where I could expose information that can't be manipulated. And when we talk about what's premium versus not premium or who owns what or who has the rights or the licensing to what, um, why not use something that is more kind of immutable, yep. right, than, than current databases and current systems? Go All right, ahead. hold on. Before we get yeah. in, into the future, yeah, for sure. let's go to the past first. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with media today? <laughs> so uh, a lot. You know, I think uh, <laughs> I think I think the biggest problem with media is that everything's at a default. Like everyone okay. is 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 valuing everything the same. So so in my opinion, you have how many followers now on Twitter? Uh, I don't know. A lot. A lot. So you are a media 100, company. 150, 60, 80,000. Right, right, right. So you are a media company, right? And and I think anyone who has a voice and an audience and content out there is a media company. However, we're baselining all of the values against certain things like audience and, and CPMs and advertising mm. and subscriptions. If um, I'm a media company, by the way, I'm firing myself. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you need an HR, right? You need to start <laughs> figuring that out. Um, but uh, that's kind of the biggest problem is that there really is no business model and people People are saying that advertising is the web's business model and that's a problem and 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 I don't necessarily think it's a problem I just think that it was our first stab at doing something and and now there's so many things to focus on and so many things to compete with that no one's really thinking differently about how that works so so, so the big problem really is people are great at creating content people are great at building these audiences and it sounds like the issue is that we just can't figure out how the hell to make it sustainable and, and monetize that in a way that doesn't put all these pressures on the media companies that they're getting today. Exactly. And it's extremely undervalued, right? Mm -hmm. The work, um, everyone always said struggling artists, but we mm -hmm. feel that more than ever now when yep. we're really trying to think about um, the work and things that go into it and how much we get paid in the value like, what, behind what's it. What's a great example of somebody or some company that uh, is drastically undervaluing the work that they're doing? Yeah. So... Um, I think a big example. Uh, I think I think it's easier for me to reverse on that question okay. and tell you so. Uh, so, like, I'll give you an example. The Times, right? Okay. When they recently released the Fred Trump, Donald Trump real estate dossier, um, that was like a massive article. When they published it, right? Mm -hmm. They basically did their own TLDR. So they said, "Look, here's the full article. You should read it. It's important. I understand that you're going to skim it. We're going to TLDR our own content, right? Okay. So you're seeing the value there. And then what they also did is they actually broke down the work that." went behind that content. So they said, we put three journalists on this. Mm -hmm. It cost $500,000 for us to do the investigative reporting. It took us, and I'm making some of these numbers yep. up. It took us two and a half years. And then as a consumer, you're like, holy shit. So I had a paywall. Here's a great piece of content. The New York Times is not just saying subscribe to great journalism. They're saying subscribe to this because it costs us half a million dollars. We spent three years. And this is information that you can only get here. Mm -hmm. So like to answer your question indirectly, I don't think it's content actually necessarily being undervalued. I think it's a new way to be, really convey that. And that I Got think it. is awesome, right? Because it's not making anyone go out of their way to do something completely new. They're mm -hmm. already doing this. They're already taking the work. They're already putting mm -hmm. it into it. Just the consumers have no idea. And that happens across all of the industry, right? No one knows how long it takes to build this podcast. No one knows how long it takes to write a book. No one may give a shit, right? But at least we should try and put information out there to see if that helps rise the models. How much of the quote unquote undervaluing of the work is driven by the owner or the creator undervaluing it versus there's just so much competition that it's like downward pressure on prices. And so maybe the New York Times actually knows, hey, we should be charging 10 times this because that's what it's actually worth. But by the way, our three 
competitors are all, you know, selling it at one tenth the cost. And so we actually have to drop our prices to be competitive to try to have any sort of traction. Yeah. So is it a mix? Yeah. So that's exactly what happened over the past five years. I mean, when we launched the Huffington Post, we literally created a business model that said, let's take content that's created by the New York Times or other publishers. Let's paraphrase it. Let's do proper attribution link back. However, let's beat them in social. Let's beat them in search Mm -hmm. so that we get 10 to 1 traffic so that we could sell programmatically and grow our audience. Mm -hmm. That was the game, right? That's how BuzzFeed grew. That's how Vox grew. And that's especially how the Huffington Post grew. Right. Business Insider. It's how can we put our own perspective, but really how can we dominate in tech and take great content and do proper attribution back? Now I think five years down the road, that's completely flipped. Where back then, when we used to publish content on the Huffington Post, no one cared about the URL. No one looked at who the byline or the writer was. It was just information that was easy for them to get to. Now we have fake news everywhere. <laughs> Things are spreading across social. No one knows what to believe or who to believe. They're questioning everything. So now the brand actually matters, right? It is about reputation. I, wild stat for you. This is, uh, you ever been in an elevator where they've got the screens and yeah. they just throw up like random stats? Like if you walk down the street, your you know chance of dying increases 20%. You're know, like, shit, I should yeah. walk down the street. <laughs> right. Um I saw the other day it said uh, boomers, like, you know, whatever, 45, 50 years old or older, uh, share fake news like double digit percentage more than any other age group. Yeah. And I literally was like, every person I know in that age group definitely thinks Facebook is still cool. And it's just sharing the hell out of stuff. Yeah, on the internet. Like my mom shared something like like from the from the Facebook page Chicks on the Right. And I'm like, how the fuck did you even find the page Chicks on the Right? But but like no one. The problem is that that information's underexposed. Right. So yep. so exactly to your point. Um, is it a down model where, where where pressures are being pushed because of competition? I think it was. Now I think everyone is actually feeling personally threatened by the fact that no one knows where information is coming yep. from or who and what to trust. And I'm hoping that there's an opportunity to expose that. Now, the great part, right, about what we're doing, like we, like the royal we in the blockchain space and how we're thinking about exposure of information is that, you know, Facebook, Google, like no one really wants to be the arbiters of truth, right? No one wants to be responsible for that. That's become very, very clear, right? When it comes to how information is being shared and so forth. So are there outliers and other things that can start manipulating these systems so that we're starting to see that information mm-hmm. and start changing the world for good? Now, I'm being a hyper optimist, right? And that's fine. Until the, look, wrong, but, have you read my Twitter account? Optimism yeah. is okay. <laughs> right, right. Um, all right. So those are the problems. Uh, what what did the solutions look like? Yeah. Like, like what does the future look like? Yeah. So I think. I think what the future looks like is just a general way to expose information and allow people to choose, right? Okay. We uh, we talk about curation markets, right? We talk about ways for people to create their own worldview. And, and that, I think, is extremely important, right? Mm-hmm. I think people will look at uh, information deliverers like, you know, the Washington Post and the New York Times and, and whoever they trust as people to help curate that information for them. But I think more so people want to start seeing their own views, right? Going beyond an algorithm of what Facebook should tell me in my newsfeed or how Google renders my results. I may feel differently about something that others don't, right? And Mm -hmm. thus the information should be changed. The future is kind of scary, right? Um, When we were talking early on, um, when I was building Poet, um, but having conversations with like other newsrooms, the notion was like, how do we keep people like Alex Jones, right? And people who are doing fake news off the site. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the exact problem of how we got here in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. You may live next to someone who you think is, you know, completely, um, completely left wing and, um, you know, excited about certain things and talks to you, but under the table is funding, right? Like conservative, extreme alt type content, Mm -hmm. because deep down inside they want that. Mm -hmm. And are we further pushing things further apart by, 
assuming curation of information to people, thus pushing people towards reading things that, you know, they otherwise wouldn't if they can make decisions on their own. So to me, like the future is like, how do we expose reputation, right? Mm -hmm. How do we build like the nutritional label for the web Mm -hmm. that isn't controlled by a central authority where everyone can see the same amount of information? Like, hey, look, if I want to smoke this pack of cigarettes, I can. It may tell me that it'll kill me, right? There may be all of these warnings on top of it. However, I can still make that decision on yeah. my own. Well, it, That's the future of information. The, the censorship of information is uh, p- people get really, really sensitive about all this stuff. But one of the arguments that I'm, I've always made is, um, you know, I was in the Army for a long time, right? And, uh, and I think we forget that the right of, or, or free speech is a right that we have said is important to us as a country. Whether I agree with you or not, and I actually think um, the Alex Jones thing was so interesting. Like, I don't care if you agree, you don't agree, whatever. The idea that somebody was being censored, right? And and, there, and there's always boundaries, right? So it's really clear that look, if you are, you know, inciting violence, if you if you're doing like, there's some things that that definitely cross the line, but for the most part. The time when we need people to stand up and say, well, actually, the people shouldn't be censored is the time when the most amount of people disagree with the person who's being censored. Right. And it's always this idea of like, you know, look, it doesn't matter. I don't care until they come to censor me. Right. 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 <laughs> and like that is why. Right. As a country. um, we pay, right, and look at institutions like the yep. Washington Post and the New York Times and and ones who have editors that we believe uh, have our best interests in, in, in mind to curate content who wouldn't necessarily publish now an Alex Jones article. Now, if somebody wants to go and find that content, right, do I believe that we should be censoring them or keeping that content out there? They're going to find it anyway, right? It's like the drug wars. It, yep. it almost makes it more popular by censoring it because you draw attention to it. Exactly. And, and look, I mean, when we talk about crypto, right? And the opportunity for, you know, anonymized payments and, you know, the ability to uh, engage and do things that you may not necessarily have to tie yourself to, then we are opening up a world where, mm-hmm. you know, there may be more Alex Joneses that could be funded and get their information out there. But that's why, again, going again, complete full circle, that's where the value on these sort of media companies and these like true creators mm-hmm. uh, comes up, right? Because you as a reader or a listener or, or a watcher of somebody will further trust them and want to better engage them because of the information they deliver to you. It's also uh, this idea, loyalty and trust with a content creator and content consumer is not predicated on the size of the audience, right? So I may think every single person in the world is an idiot, but like you're creating content and I think that you're really intelligent and I like your view of the world and when you talk about this stuff. And if I'm the only one who thinks that between you and I is trust, loyalty, all that, it doesn't matter if everybody else trusts you or not, right? right. Like, like we should be able to allow you to co- create the content and me to consume the content. Um, I, I guess, how do you do that in this new world using blockchain? Like, what are you guys actually doing at Poet? Yeah, so uh, that exposure of information, I think, is a is a fuel to thinking differently. Like, I okay. think I think you're absolutely right. I, I think your relationship, right, if you are a blogger with your readers, uh, should not be equated with the relationship of, you know, Vox Media and their readers or, you know, another publication and their readers. I think that's how we got into this mess. We 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 literally um, uh, 
uh, commoditized, right? What a user is. And we put them all as the same value, right? Because yep. they're eyeballs, even though, um, you know, I may reach someone who's sea level or I may have a better relationship with somebody and so forth. And we're not able to quantify that. So what we're doing and what I'm most exciting about is quantifying those things. I okay. call like I call it proof of effort because why not do proof of something in this space? Uh, there's not enough of it, but um, it's kind of this idea of how can we expose like the value of information that really is tied to people's actual work. So uh, a great example is like when I go to Medium and I read an article, Mm -hmm. it tells me how long it'll take me to read that article, which fine, sounds exciting because it's like, look, I have five minutes of my day, I'm going to read it. But what if I went and read an article written by you that Mm -hmm. didn't actually say it's going to take eight minutes to read? It says it took 500 minutes to write, right? Then I'd be like, fuck, I have five minutes to like, like if Anthony took 500 minutes of his day to do this, then I could give at least five minutes to read it. And mm-hmm. that kind of brings a new perceived type of value. It brings a new loyalty and connection to the audience. And that's where I think things become more interesting. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the new world. And how does that work? I mean, that works by uh, building verifiability structures. So that's mm-hmm. what we do at Poet, right? You can make claims about something. I'm the author of this. This has been fact-checked. This has been funded by this person. This took... X long to write and X long to read and just being able to expose that information in the data set so that people could figure out what to do with that. Mm-hmm. That's where I think things start to become really interesting, where we don't just look at the results of something like its traffic and its page views and and its users and things that are heavily commoditized. Yep. We're actually looking at what makes it unique and different, right? The work that went into it, how much research went into it. Why is this information important and why should I trust this over another thing? Like a great example is Google, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't, again may not necessarily want to be the arbiters of the content that they expose and how that information comes through and they have an algorithm to do so. But if you Google something like, you know, I want to learn about blockchain 101, and if the uh, the original creators of that content was Bitcoin Magazine back in 2010, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we make sure that that wins in search, right? Because if everything else was basically referenced from that and driven to that, uh, the algorithm may see more value in, you know, a Coindesk article or something else that came up because it's gotten more traffic. Yet mm-hmm. the originator of those thoughts and that content is, you know, Bitcoin Magazine in this date. And is that important for Google, right? To be mm-hmm. able to say, do you want to know what? We don't want to be the mediators of all these things, but here's a new value signal that's coming from Poet that's tied around reputation, right? Mm-hmm. And exposure of these verifiability. You see it on you see it on uh, Twitter and Instagram all the time now. Now, right. Somebody comes up with a good funny joke or whatever. Like the new thing on Instagram is you take a screenshot of a tweet and then you post it on Instagram and it goes viral, but that value doesn't accrue in terms of account growth, et cetera, to the originator of the joke or the idea or whatever. It goes to the person who was first to put it back on right. Instagram and let it go viral. Right. right. And, and so in that situation, there's just more attribution and, and more that you can give back to the original creator for those ideas that they put out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And like a great example is, I mean, even like the the best technologies today can't solve for this. Mm-hmm. If you Google image search like Empire State Building yep. and if you pull up that Google image, iOS allows you to just hold down that image and save that photo. Yep. And you may not necessarily want to steal that person's photo, mm-hmm. um, but it's not a default for iOS to be able to like add an attribution to it, right? Or yep. do a watermark to it. So that's exactly the point, right? We, uh, it's very easy for me to kind of start talking about what it means for media and what it means for news, because that's my background. That's what I understand. But yeah, think of it for photography, right? How do I know that this image that I'm using has the correct rights, right? Mm-hmm. What What is the future of rights management when it looks like things look like. on change? Uh, what does the long tail look like, right? What mm-hmm. does, like, what happens if, if I'm an independent creator and something goes viral and, you know, the fat Jewish uses my stuff and, you know, how do I even know if people are using it? I don't want to search Instagram and do all these things. 
that verifiable claim structure helps with that. Cool part with Poet and what we're doing is that we're basically building the protocol so that other developers could build things on top, top of, it. of it. So we've had, um, there's um, there's this guy, Brian Isbell, in our community who I met literally over Twitter who just builds on top of the Poet protocol that built an Alexa app that basically allows him to like say, hey, Alexa, put this on Poet, and then he'll say anything. And anything that he says is now immutable and written to you know the Bitcoin blockchain via Poet, which is kind of cool and kind of scary. Like if this whole conversation was on the block, chain we wouldn't be able to edit or alter anything mm. i said something i regret you say something you regret and it's out there yes it's terrifying but it kind of changes the way that we would think about going about things and how we built things in the first place so like those sort of things i think are awesome and i don't know what the absolute application is for all of this but i do know that behaviors will change if people start to think about what information looks like when it's out there if we're able to do better attribution mm -hmm. if we're like able to you know build better provenance based on reputation mm -hmm. i think the entire industry changes and like now more than ever the industry is just on fire so mm -hmm. like anyone who has a host could come in and just like make some sort of impact i'm gonna ask you about three separate types of content you tell me how you see it coming from the media world uh first barstool sports yeah so good bad oh good 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 i mean i mean there's like this recent news about the comment section right and and dave portnoy kind of came out and i'm actually not a huge stool fan but i watch them from a technical perspective because mm -hmm. i'm obsessed with it so just so everybody knows uh barstool sports is like been around for 15 years or whatever it is they've built a uh a, a pretty big loyal rabid fan base they've done it on social they've kind of grinded it out raised some money uh eventually from churning and, and uh started to grow and the recent kind of controversy one of many that they've had is they shut down the comment section because basically there's a bunch of vile comments yeah. that were kept getting posted <laughs> yeah, even like they were deleting it. yeah really bad um but do you want to know what's really interesting is like when you know you have a brand is when you when someone wakes up in the morning and it's going to be like, where is that brand? Right. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how I think about media companies now where, um, what, if I wake up in the morning tomorrow and Buzzfeed goes out of business, how am I going to find out? It's not because I can't find my Buzzfeed content or my Buzzfeed article. It's going to be because you text me uh, a link and that link is broken. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize they went out of business. Yep. Barstool has built this community and this following where people wake up in the morning and you know, they don't get the podcast. Right. And they don't get their There'll newsletter. Riots, right, riots right, in the street. Right. And that's it. And that's, huge, right? That's kind of what the skim has done. That's yeah, what yeah. girl boss has done. That's what these media companies that have really focused on kind of community engagement and growth have done in way different ways than a lot of modern media companies have. Watch this. We want to see how loyal the fan base is. If you're a stoolie and you hear this, go ahead and tweet at Jared and I and, <laughs> uh, and let us know that you listen to this and we'll see how, uh, how rapid that fan base is. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so we've got the Barstools of the world. What yep. about what I'll call like the, uh, Instagram influencers, models, all that kind of stuff where they're basically creating tons of content that, doesn't necessarily go viral, but has really deep engagement. Yeah. So that to me is the future of kind of where we're hitting with media is this idea okay. of, is this idea of interoperability. I don't believe that in 10 years uh, we will have 80% of the media companies that we have today. I think media, wow. I, I think media companies have served as platforms. Um, they think that they're competing with Facebook and Google uh, in terms of like ad share, but they're actually competing with them in terms of like operators, right? Yep. Like if I'm a creator uh, and if I already built my audience and if I could get more money and more exposure on Instagram, uh, but I may be a photographer, why would I shoot photographs for Sports Illustrated if my sports photography is doing better on yep. Instagram? And that's kind of the notion of where I think we're going with interoperability. I think 
we're still sort of disparate in that sense. Like you may have 200,000 followers on Twitter, zero on Instagram, some on like Facebook or YouTube. How do we bring those things together so that you as a brand come all together and you actually become more appetizing for these media companies or these platforms to get on there because they're going to offer you things, PR, distribution, uh, management, operations, yeah. HR, backend, things like that. So these influencers, I think, are way ahead. Uh, I actually think the news industry is going to go this way. I think you're now subscribing to, say, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and you're watching things on CNN, but you most likely, without realizing it, are watching and reading just for one person. So why are you going to subscribe to an entire media or news organization if you just want that one person and you want that one person? and not just on the Wall Street Journal. You want them when they're on Bloomberg. You want them on Twitter. You want them on Instagram. So that's where I think the kind of Instagram influencers have a huge leg up with mm-hmm. how that model works because I think the there's no longer such a deep reputation on the domain. Right? Yep. It's not just, hey, I'm Jared and I write for the Wall Street Journal and that's what makes me special. It's I'm Jared, I'm special, and the Wall Street Journal wants me because I could help grow their brand, right? It, and that's the change. Uh, in the finance world, uh, Matt Levine from yes. uh, Bloomberg like crushes it, right? Yep. It's it literally... I know so many people who are just like, yeah, I don't even know if I'm reading a Bloomberg, a CNBC article, like it's all the same to me, but like I, I read that email every day. Right. And if everything's about scale and, 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 and kind of growing and outwards, then how much is that brand? Like, is that brand valuable um, because it's Bloomberg or is that brand valuable to him because Bloomberg gives him a paycheck and an office and yep. a travel expense and PR and like that may be it. So if that's the case, that's a great value for these media companies to battle with the platforms mm-hmm. because they're like, look, Instagram could just give you Instagram distribution. It's programmatic. It's easy, but we're not handling anything else. And then Bloomberg says, come here, we'll give you A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh, and then that becomes more interesting and appealing for the creator. Email delivery of news and media gets more or less popular in the future. More. I mean, that, yeah, that is like goes back to what I was saying earlier about if you wake up and you know someone goes out of business. I mean, Mm -hmm. look at the the biggest media companies, right, that have bloomed over the past like three to five years. um, And I'm using media loose, but you have Axios, right? Mm -hmm. You have the skim. Mm -hmm. You have things that you love to wake up to, Mm -hmm. read in the morning that you trust that if they weren't there, you'd be like freaking out. Right. Right. And that's the thing. You know, you, we, we're very cyclical in media, right? And and we like repeat behaviors. We declare things dead. We declare things back alive. And then we start over again. (laughs) Um, We used to say, hey, look, like you don't want to make your users um, search for your content. You need to deliver to them. And that's why all these media companies went on to social platforms, right? Because they said it's not about getting audience to your site. It's about reaching the audience where they are. Now everyone's like, shit, we need to get that audience back because Facebook's taking all of our money. So now it's kind of going back that way. But the newsletter thing is extremely interesting because you can monetize that. It's a personal one-to-one relationship. Mm -hmm. You get data and information and you're providing a service that when people wake up in the morning, it's like an alarm clock. It's like, wow, I overslept because I didn't get my Axios newsletter. For sure. That's an amazing way to make an impact. My uh, my, my girlfriend uh, writes term sheet at Fortune, so we should use Fortune as the example, not, yeah. uh, not Axios. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Shout out to Dan, too, but, but play to win on that one. Um, what about audio? Yeah. I uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of audio. Uh, I'm kind of weird, you know, uh, being a huge music head. Like, I actually don't listen to too many podcasts, I'm, uh, and I know that I'm uh, I know that I'm I'm rare there. I'm kind of more like when I have headphones on. I'm listening to Spotify. Uh, 
I think audio is the future. I mean, I think I think the AirPods are. I mean, I think AirPods are wild, yeah, wild, yeah, are the next frontier of technology. And the fact that we don't um, advertise on them already, or that I don't put them on, and you know, there's not a message delivered to me, and um, so forth, and like my text messages aren't like that. That frontier is massive, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm a creator or if I'm a media company, that's where I'm thinking that everyone in the world in five years is going to have these things in their ear. You're going to be able to reach them at any time, and they may be able to turn it on and off, but likely they will want that so do, do they go in the brain yeah i would put them i would put them inside inside the head yeah i mean i would take it why not would turn you? on music whenever i walk through i actually like for a very long time whenever i walk through the city i put on music and i like pretend i'm in a movie i feel like i'm in a soundtrack oh, so, i don't, I don't so, even put on music i just do that normal <laughs> just <laughs> yeah it's a i forgot which spider-man it was but but like that spider-man scene when peter parker's like dancing in the streets yeah, yeah. like that's the life i wish like i wish music was coming from the sky and i was just do, able to live my do life do you want everyone to listen to the same music though no it's pretty open that's the problem right Right. That's why it can't work. That's fine. It, well, somebody will figure that out. Trust yeah, me. I'm not sure people are going to love my music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before I finish up, I usually ask a bunch of rapid fire questions. Cool. Uh, what's the most controversial thought you have in crypto? Uh, the most controversial thought I have in crypto is that I think everyone's driving hundred miles per hour and we can only go 20. Why? Uh, I just feel like, um, I just feel like we like to say that people aren't ready for all of this, but I don't even think we're ready for all of this. I think like we need to be honest that things are unexplored um, and undiscovered yet, and that should make us excited. But uh, the fact that we keep looking into news and it's like, wow, someone is using this and someone is able to use this, I don't think is as exciting as if we could start getting things institutionalized. So I know that you often talk about the financial side of it. I often think about you know what it means for the creators and, and what it can mean for media and changing these things. And we're a long way away. And that's fucking good, right? That's a great thing. And that's going to get more people interested more people engaged, but by no means like I find myself constantly driving hundred miles per hour and having to look back and be like, wow, we're leaving people behind, but that's actually bad for our business. <laughs> Bitcoin we gotta rea- go back. B- Bitcoin realized that in December right. of, uh, of 17, like, oh shit, we probably should go back, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> come, come back down to earth. <laughs> um, all right. What, uh, what do you think is the most important company in crypto? Uh, that's a great question, actually. Um, Can't say yourself. Oh, I definitely don't think that it's us right now. I mean, I, that, that uh, right now, like uh, spoken like a true entrepreneur. I, All right, what is it? I, uh, I mean, I'll actually give a plug to like, like I love the block. I love what Dudas is doing. Um, uh, I think, shout out, shout out to Dudas, and I think, um, I think that uh, the content that he's providing and the information that he's providing is really awesome. Uh, I think a lot of the media companies, like Bitcoin Magazine, I think everyone who's trying to think about what media looks like in this space is doing something extremely interesting. Um, all right, so let's talk uh, actually a little bit about uh, what's going on in China. So uh, basically, there's these two incidences where people took information, they put it onto an immutable, immutable blockchain, which is Ethereum. Um, and one was about a sexual assault case, uh, and the other was about this uh, pharmaceutical company and, and a bunch of the, you know investigative stuff going on there. How do you think that type of stuff is going to evolve in countries where? We know they're not cool with it. Yeah, no, it's that's a great question. So um, three or four months ago, it's all a fog, but I did Shanghai, Hong Kong and Sydney in seven days. So I flew more than I was on the ground um, speaking kind of about immutability and news and information. And each place I went to, I had to change um, kind of the directive <laughs> because here it's like we talk about Google, we talk about Facebook, we talk about Alex Jones. China has no idea about any of those things or cares yep. about any of those things. And when I went to Sydney, it was really interesting because they were terrified of immutability because of like how strict the libel laws are. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. libel law there's are so strict that if you like 
make some sort of misinformation or some sort of case that has to be deleted from everywhere um, or else, you know, you are put in prison. Yep. So I think uh, I think that it's important to think that way. I think that in life, we don't really have a do over button in general. Like like if I decide to do something completely insane right now, uh, I'd have to pay for those repercussions. Right. Yep. It's not like I could be like, all right, like delete it. I don't like those results. So. I, I think it's important. I think that it's going to change the way society works. I think that's why we're all bought into this, right? Yep. Because we actually believe that it's bigger than ourselves. So if you know that whatever you do or whatever you say is recorded in public and going to be seen, then it's not trying to think about, well, is that okay? And is that right? It's okay. Well, maybe before I do certain things, I'll think differently. So when it comes to Fair. those countries, yeah, it's terrifying, but that's why I'm actually bought into this because I think that it's going to change the way that we behave and the way that we do things far more differently than we've ever thought before for the better. So yes, it'll take time, but I also love the notion that information is out there and it's going to be immutable because I can't wait to see how people behave and react when they know that that's the case. I love it. Uh, most important book you've ever read. The most important book I've ever. Like I've never read a book ever. Yeah, I was like, whoa. Uh, probably. I mean, I love Sapiens. I know that that's a traditional or, or right. that's a trendy thing. But like my favorite books, Greg Allman biography, Eric Clapton biography. I, I Eric Clapton, man. Whoa. Eric Clapton's biography is. He thought his mother. He thought his mother was. He thought his grandmother was his mother for the first seven years of his life. Then found out that his sister was actually his mother, but his sister didn't want anything to do with him. And then he went on to be our clap. So that to me is a motivation. That's where those songs come from. <laughs> right. That's like, whoa. Right. But yeah, I love all music biographies because I'm just jealous of that life. Uh, that's, that's fair. That's fair. We, when we shut off the uh, microphones, we'll make some music. Yeah. Yeah, tap on the table or something. Um, all right. Before uh, before I let you ask me a question, uh, aliens, probability that they exist. Probability that 100% aliens 100%? Exist. Yeah. Why? I mean, something has Have to you exist. Met one? No, but something has to exist. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, look, what, what was look the probability? I don't know if it is what we think it is, but like, okay, it, that's it, fair. it'd be insane to not think anything else exists. Probability that the moon landing was faked. Uh, I think the moon landing was real. All right. The, the, you can't go I don't want to go to, yeah, I'm, I can't I'm say super... aliens are real and moon landing is fake <laughs> and expect to like keep my job. The, the people, that's my new thing is if somebody says that the aliens are 100% real, I'm like, all right, hold on. How far, <laughs> how far on the uh, conspiracy theory spectrum are you? Right. Then just go right to the moon landing. Right. Um, what one question do you have for me to finish? Um, I mean, I think for you, like going through um, kind of what's been going on during this space, like what things are you uh, like most excited about, but also kind of what things do you think are the most bullshit and fake that have come out of this uh, Um, up and down trend? So I'll start with the bullshit stuff first. Uh, I I wrote about this a couple days ago. I said uh, crypto's got an execution problem, right? Like. 2017 was the best and worst thing that could have happened. There, everyone was worried, you know, what conference am I speaking at? What headlines did I get? How much money did I raise? Uh, what private jet can I fly on? All this stuff. Like, at the end of the day, it's just, did you build something people want, right? And uh, the thing that almost every entrepreneur that I really respect has in common is they walk into a room and they say, no, that shit matters. Mm-hmm. I build things that people want. Right. And like, we got to get back to that being a badge of honor of like, you know what? I built something that people want. A lot of people want it. I can make a lot of money because I built a really big business. Um, and it doesn't probably matter how much money you raised and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's one big problem. The second is uh, just complete lack of education. Yep. Like, the amount of conversations, I, I probably can't say, I definitely can't say who this is, but I went and I met with somebody who managed a lot of money in the institutional world, a little bit older guy, and uh, walked in the room and he was like, I believe that Bitcoin is going to be the largest uh, opportunity for wealth creation in my lifetime. 
And I was like, bam, this dude's the man. This is going to be a great meeting. Second question, what's a blockchain? <laughs> right. We came back real fast to, you know, to, to uh, square one on that one. And so like, I, I think that's where we are. You know, it's just people, even if they do believe, hey, there's a lot of intellectual capital and financial capital going into the space, it can have a huge impact. Um, we still got to do a lot of education. And so we just got to be patient. Like time is a huge thing. Um, and then uh, what am I most excited about? Like I wake up every day today believing more that this shit's going to change the world than I did when I went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that sounds ridiculous, but the pace at which people are innovating and building things and like, like forget all the prices, forget all that stuff. Like even just Bitcoin, right? Like the, the kind of first application that the easiest one for people to wrap their heads around in March of 2018, the fall in number of transactions bottled and it, increased all the way through the rest of 2018. Mm. And so what you see there is like, even when prices were falling, people were starting to adopt it more, right? You go and you look at some of these, you know, countries, the, the Venezuelas, Argentinas, et cetera, adoption is going up. Well, that's not just Bitcoin though. It's, it's the entire ecosystem, right? And, and so I think that we still are a long way away from like the, you know, kind of the first company or product that's going to onboard, you know, two, three billion users, right? That's going to take some time yep. to build. But I have more conviction that that is going to come to reality at some point than I did, you know, six months ago. Yeah, no, I think um, I, I actually had this conversation with someone the other day where I think that blockchain, like impact on blockchain and value on blockchain is actually going to come from companies that are blockchain companies, right? Like, I don't necessarily think that you need to be working within this space to actually make impact on this space because it is so early, but it is so exciting that I think these other point of views that are going to be coming from the outside over the next few months, like that could be, that, that could be Facebook. I mean, I don't necessarily know if that's the right one, but, but it could just be like media companies or it could just be tech companies or others that are just dabbling that see new applications and values that aren't just so blind, like, like so focused on, you know, the end game that we all see because we're constantly drinking, um, you know, from the faucet, but coming from the outside. And I kind of threw that at someone the other day where I'm like, do you actually have to work in blockchain or, you know, work in this space to make an impact? And my argument is no, I think actually bigger impacts are going to come from outside point of views. The, the corporate dark horses, right? They're, right. Out, they're out there. Oh, for sure. All right, man. Listen, this has been so much fun. Awesome. Uh, Thank we'll you. have to do it again. Um, you are going to leave and you're going to put your music on and you're going to go skip down the, yeah. uh, down the street. Yeah. I'll be dancing down 42nd Street. <laughs> and then uh, we'll, we'll have to do this again. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate of course. it. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.